Thank you, Bonnie. So grab your Bibles, open up to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. The last several weeks we've been doing a series uh, preparing ourselves for Easter, and of course the cross has to come before Easter. And uh, we're looking at what Jesus accomplished on the cross, um, as that song was talking about. Um, We're doing that by looking at five different awesome realities that are true of us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when I say for us, um, I hope you understand that I specifically mean for those who have chosen to put their faith in Christ by coming to God and, and accepting the salvation that he has freely offered to, to any and all who would believe. Uh, if you're here this morning and you've not yet made that decision, well, you may be, you know, still investigating, checking it out, wondering what this Christianity thing is all about. Uh, I want you to know that these are five realities that can be true for you because they are freely offered to all who believe. So uh, that's an awesome thing. The two truths we've looked at so far are the fact that at the cross, our debt to God was canceled because it was paid in full by Christ, and that through the cross, we have been reconciled to God. Uh, the canceled debt's all about making us fit for heaven. No one who is still guilty of, of sin can enter into the presence of a perfectly righteous and holy God. Uh, because Jesus Christ paid uh, the price and eliminated our debt, we've received then that legal right and standing uh, before God to be able to come into heaven. But being reconciled, that's all about relationship. God um, is not an angry master waiting to punish us. Rather, he is a loving father seeking to restore that wonderful relationship that was lost and broken uh, because of sin. And the reality is God wants to be with you. He uh, wants uh, that intimate and close and, and, and dynamic relationship And the possibility of that kind of relationship uh, exists because of what Jesus did on the cross. So those are the first two things we looked at. This week we're going to be looking at the fact that because of the cross, we're set free. Now the the words set free do not show up in the passage that we're looking at this morning, uh, but the concept is there. Galatians chapter 6 and... uh, lost my glasses. Here we are. Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 12, says this. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Father God, thank you again for uh, just an awesome opportunity we've enjoyed today to worship you. As we come to your word, we desire, God, that your spirit would speak to us, would uh, lead in the message that everything that is said and done would be what you desire today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I, I think probably you know after the Gospels, uh, the bulk of the New Testament is actually composed of a bunch of uh, letters that the Apostle Paul, or mostly the Apostle Paul, wrote to a specific church that was located in one particular town. So thus, you know, you have the book of Romans is to the church of, for the Christians in Rome, and uh, the, the book of Philippians is to the letter to the uh, Christians in Philippi, that type of thing. Galatia, though, is not a city, it's a whole region, uh, kind of like a state or a province, and there were many different churches in that region, and this book was meant to, this particular letter was meant to circulate amongst all those different churches, which is why he starts the book of Galatians with uh, the phrase, to the churches, plural, in Galatia. So this was a circular letter, meaning this was an issue that was going on in a lot of those churches. And and while most of Paul's letters, uh, he tries to emphasize what it is that God has done for us, and then the practical implications of all that, um, in, in each of his various letters, there's also at least a little bit of combative language against something that was wrong. He's having to fight against some type of error. And a few of the letters even get fairly strong in that respect. But Galatians is is probably the strongest letter, the one with the, the harshest rhetoric and, and the most vigorous defense against wrong. Um, things were really happening in this region of Galatia that was damaging the church. And so Paul fights against that. And his main concern was this group of people that we mentioned a couple weeks ago named the Judaizers. These people would go around, especially like to get into these newly planted churches, and they would teach them that the gospel that Paul was proclaiming wasn't quite right. Uh, They would say, you know, that there was nothing wrong with Jesus. In fact, faith in Jesus is fine. In fact, they would even affirm that, that, that you need to believe in Jesus. That's a necessary part of salvation. But, and, and, and the but was always the big part of the problem here, right? They would say, but believing in Jesus is not quite good enough for complete salvation. That is, not enough to either get you saved or not enough to complete your salvation, to make you the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. If if you want to be a true Christian, if you want to experience all that God has for you, well, then you need to believe in Jesus and follow all the laws of Moses. Uh, the, The outward symbol that you are going to follow the laws of Moses was circumcision. So as such, these these false teachers, the Judaizers, they really emphasized circumcision. Because if you got circumcised, well, then that meant that you were committed to keeping all the rest of the law as well. And, of course, there were a lot of other aspects of of things they taught too, but that's all we need to get into for what we're looking at this morning. And maybe it's possible that some of you sitting here might be thinking in your mind, well, I don't really see what the problem is. As long as you believe in Jesus, well, what difference does it make if you believe in him and something else? Right? As long as you got Jesus, does it really make a difference if it's Jesus and something more? I mean, lots of people want to do that today, don't they? Let's believe in Jesus and, you know, new age crystals to to 
give you good vibrations in your body to do something. I don't know what they do. Uh, uh, this type of thing. Let's believe in Jesus and the right religious works. Let's believe in Jesus and you have to be part of the right denomination or whatever. There's always this and. And, and Paul's response to that is if, if, if you add anything to faith in Jesus for salvation, then you're changing the gospel of grace and therefore you're no longer believing uh, the gospel that brings salvation. In chapter 1, Paul calls this error, when people do this, he says they're preaching a different gospel, which he then says, uh, which is really not another, only there are some who uh, are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, this different gospel isn't, isn't really another one. They're taking the, 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 uh, the true gospel, but they're distorting it so it's no longer the gospel of grace. And if you put your faith in a distorted gospel, Jesus and whatever else, then, then the true gospel of grace, um, if you put it rather than in the true gospel of grace, then you're missing salvation because we are saved by grace and grace alone. And so, in this particular case, the Judaizers were teaching that you had to believe in Jesus and perform certain religious works in order to be saved, specifically circumcision and following the laws of Moses. So now, getting to our verses here in Galatians that we read at the beginning, Paul says that if they're not preaching that gospel of grace, then that means they must have some other motive rather than the spiritual and eternal welfare of the people they're trying uh, to reach. That's why verse 12 starts by saying, those who desire to make a good showing in, a, in the flesh. That's, that's part of their motives. They, they want to follow uh, certain rituals and rules and regulations because you know what? That makes them feel good about themselves and makes them look good to others because it's this outward appearance uh, aspect is showing them it's they can stand in front of the people and say hey look at me check me out man look at all the things i'm doing i'm at the top of the list i i make a good showing in the flesh i, I you know you look at my life and it looks great and they wanted people to do that uh, and this is the same attitude uh, that jesus condemned in the pharisees Right, and actually, he he did it in one of his parables in Luke chapter eighteen. Jesus told of two guys who were going up to the temple to pray, and one of the guys was a well-respected religious leader, a guy that looked good on the outside to everybody else, and the other guy was this man who worked for the IRS. Okay, and, and, and uh, to the Jews, uh, that meant that he was a dirty, rotten, traitorous scoundrel. Okay, tax collectors, that's what they were, kind, kind of like today, but, um, <laughs> but worse. Okay, so the, the, the Jews could not abide. I mean, they, they were the worst of the worst to, to be a tax collector. And, and so Jesus is telling this story of these two guys go up to the temple to pray. And the religious guy, he stands up and he begins a pompous prayer on the corner, loud for everybody to be able to hear. He, you know, he's not really praying to God. He's praying to everybody that's around him. And he says, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not like other people. Okay? Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even 
like this IRS guy over there. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all I get. He was going on and on about what a great guy he was. And he was a person that definitely made a good showing in the flesh. Meaning, if you just looked at him on the outside, he looked like he had it all together. It looked like his life was all cleaned up, at least in terms of appearances. Following all those religious rules and regulations and rituals, it made him feel mighty good about himself. But then you come to the other guy. And that IRS agent, he knelt down, wouldn't even lift his head to heaven, and he prayed, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. His life wasn't cleaned up. It it was a mess. He wasn't doing anything right. And yet, God's or, or Jesus' assessment of this situation and these two men was this. I tell you that this man, meaning the messed up IRS agent, he went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's not, it's not those who look good on the outside but those who admit their sin and repent that are accepted by God. The Judaizers, though, it was all about looking good on the outside and exalting themselves. And one of the main ways they tried to do that uh, was by compelling other people to be like them, to do the same thing they were doing and, and to follow the rules and the regulations and all the circumcisions. But look at what it says in verse 13 about them. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. I mean, they want others to be circumcised, uh, which was the outward, easy, you know, religious symbol to be able to do. Uh, but when it came to actually following all the laws of Moses, they couldn't do it themselves. So even though they looked good on the outside, their lives were messed up as well. But for them... Just the, the pretense of following the laws. That was enough to make them feel good about themselves. And it allowed them to look good to others, even who, especially those of the same ilk. And, and then another reason they wanted to, to uh, force uh, others back into this Jewish way of, of doing things was to avoid persecution. Christians were being persecuted both by the Jews and the Romans, and, and they were looked down on uh, by the Greeks. So in order to avoid all that unpleasantness, uh, these guys claimed to be Christian but wanted to act like Jews because that was already an accepted religion and, and then they could compel people to follow them and that gave them more brownie points and bonus points in their system. And that's what Paul was saying here. That's, that's what he was fighting against. And, and then that brings us to his point where he says, no, that, that, that will never do. For him, there was... No compromise to the truth of the cross and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And in the cross, he is saying in these verses we're looking at that there's no longer any need to have to do stuff to feel good about himself or the need to look good to others. But those, 
were eliminated, what Christ has done. And that's, that's the meaning of verse 14 when he says, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, in that one statement, Paul is declaring that, that he has been set free from two distinctive pressures that, that still attack us even today. But, but before we look at that, let's look at the priority he places on the cross because that's what we need to do as well today if we want to combat these pressures. When he uses uh, the word cross, which he says that's always the priority, that's, that's the main and central thing for me. When he uses that word cross, he's not simply referring to the physical instrument, the two pieces of wood that, that the Romans used to make this instrument of execution. The term cross in this sense, and when you come across it in, 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 in the gospel or the epistle writings, refers to the, the whole work of redemption that Jesus Christ accomplished. And, and so therefore would include his life, his death, on the cross, and of course then his resurrection. That's all wrapped up in that term, the cross. This is, this is what it is for me. And it was radical that Paul would claim to, to boast only in the cross. Okay? Very radical thing back, back in those days. I mean, for us, it's really hard from our perspective 2,000 years later to, to think of the cross as anything more than the symbol for the salvation that we have, right? I mean, that's, that's, we know in our brains that, yeah, it was a real thing, but we've got it all beautified and glorified into this religious symbol, right? So we make it out of silver and gold and hang it on chains around our neck or put it in our ears or we make stylized paintings or, or sculptures or things like this and put them on our walls and stuff. And, and, and so we think of it as that beautiful symbol of salvation, that would not have happened back in Paul's day. Nobody was going to wear a cross around their neck or stick a picture of it up on their wall. It, it was a, a horrible thing. It was a, a horrendous means of execution. Nobody, nobody would boast or glory in the cross. I mean, the Romans, they, they were not the first people to execute people um, via the cross but they were the group that popularized it and perfected it as a means of execution. And it was such a, a, a heinous means of death that the Romans themselves, even though they used it a lot, actually made a law because it was so terrible that if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be executed that way. No matter what crime you've done, no Roman citizen could be put on the cross. It was that, that bad. The, the, the cross could not be spoken about in polite society, right? If you were at a dinner party and you mentioned the cross, you're getting kicked out. You know, it, 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 it was not done. It was a horrible thing. And for the Jews, it was even worse because to their way of thinking, based on, on the Old Testament, anybody who hung upon a cross was obviously cursed by God. I mean, they believed that there was no way that God would allow anybody that he loved to endure such a ghastly death. The cross was taboo to the, to the uh, Gentiles, uh, uh, abhorrent to the Jews. And yet Paul says, I won't boast in anything except for the cross. 
And we hear that word boast. I mean, in English, the word boast is always bad, right? Boasting is, is this self thing. Look at me, this type of thing. But in the Greek, the, the word boast simply means to praise or to glory. And the context would tell you whether that's a positive thing or a negative self-glorification. And obviously, there was nothing in that Paul was taking credit for for himself in the cross, right? I mean, he wasn't even there, um, as far as any record goes in, in, in Scripture. Um, he was glorying in, he was praising what God had accomplished on the cross. And for him, that meant many things. The things we looked at before, being debt-free, being reconciled to God. But in this instance, he's talking about in the cross, we have been set free. The words set free are, again, not in this passage. But the word he uses for it is crucified. Because you understand death is the ultimate means of severing or setting a person free from the confines or pressures of this world. I mean, think about it. As hard as death is for those of us who remain, think of what it means for the believer, right? And, and many of us have been, been thinking about this because uh, of the passing of Jerry this week. It's all been brought back to our mind. I mean, we, we are sad. We are heartbroken. We're grieving on this side, but Jerry is rejoicing. No more cancer. No more chemical sensitivities to wear down his body. No more weaknesses, no more infirmity or disease. He has been set free from a ravished body, not to mention a broken and damaged world. See, it's in that same way that Paul is saying that we have been set free because of our spiritual death with Christ on the cross. The Bible teaches that, that when we accept Jesus Christ, his death is applied to us. It's as if we died on the cross with him. And because we've been crucified with Christ on the cross, there are two th- ways that we've been set free. The first, it says that the world has been crucified to us. And that term world is, is very broad and can mean a lot of things, but in this particular context of, of talking about the Judaizers, it, it is apparent that, that Paul is referring to this world system of religion, which I, I believe is why he goes on in verse 15 to say, for neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's, that's all that matters. In other words, outward religious uh, rituals mean nothing only whether or not you are a new creation in Christ. And putting your faith in Christ is what makes you a new creation, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. And that is all that matters. That's what he's saying. Any other religious system and rituals don't mean anything. It's have you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The world's system of religion is one that says, do more, try harder. And Paul, he already tried that way of doing things, right? I mean, he, he knew where these Judaizers were coming from. He had tried that religion of human achievement. 
Every religion in the world, apart from Christianity, is, is based on that premise of human achievement. You make a study of all these other religions, and in the end, in the final analysis, it will come down to man working harder or doing something in and of himself to make himself acceptable to God. And Paul, Paul tried the Jewish form of that religion. I mean, listen to what he said about himself in, in Philippians chapter 3. He said, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which comes by the law, found blameless, he says. In other words, he could check off all the right boxes uh, in this religious system. He was doing it right. He was trying hard and, and doing a great job, but he found out that that religion of human achievement will never make you right with God. We, we might not have the same boxes to check off that Paul did, but there's many people today and that's what they're trying to do. Check off the right boxes, and then God's going to be happy with me. I'll go to church. Okay, maybe not every Sunday, but I think if I go at least two times a month, that should count, uh, and, and, and I'll give money to missionaries, and I'll do this, and I'll, you know, they got the boxes they want to check off. They believe that they have to work to somehow clean up their life, to make themselves presentable, or acceptable to God somehow. But the truth is, like the IRS guy in the parable we looked at before, the only thing God is looking at from us is to admit our sin, no matter how bad that sin might be, and to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to put our faith in Him. And, and since God, see, demands absolute perfection the truth is you can never be good enough you can never clean yourself up enough by your own efforts and that treadmill of performance keeps going and going and gets harder and harder until you finally drop in exhaustion and say I can't do this anymore and see, because of the cross, we have been set free from that system of performance. Instead, it's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross that is the source of a believer's righteousness, the source of our acceptance before God. The cross brought an end to that hopeless frustration of trying to pursue God through human works, through being good enough. So, so that world system of human effort, religion, we've been uh, that's been crucified to us. We've been set free from that. But, but Paul also says that he has been crucified to the world. He, he did it both ways. And that's a way of saying, and he's dead to the world. And, and of course, that doesn't mean that a person doesn't live or move or function in this world. What it does mean is that we've been set free from the things that drive this world. In other words, we don't have to look good or achieve in the eyes of others either. The Judaizers, right? That's what they were all about. That's why they modified their beliefs and positions to mollify others. They were being driven by that desire, uh, the same desires of the ungodly world around them. 
And Paul says, hey, we've, we've been set free from that. The world around us, it tells us that in order to have worth, in order to be accepted, in order to make yourself acceptable to God or anybody else, you have to be rich enough or famous enough or prestigious enough. You have to climb the corporate ladder or, or be popular or excel in sports or whatever it is. And again, it comes back down to performance. So let me ask you a question. Are, are you tired of having to live up to the expectations of them, whoever them would be, right? Well, thanks to the cross, you don't have to. You can just be the person that God designed you to be. It doesn't matter what other people think or say. You have been crucified to the world. You've been crucified to all that it says of what you need to be a worthwhile person. And it's good to be set free, isn't it? Father God, we thank you that we have all that we need because of the cross. That it's not up to us to achieve a certain level to be acceptable to you. That we don't have to come under the rule or the thumb of what someone else says we need to do. But rather, simply put our faith in Christ and let you be the one that we follow and transforms our life. So God, help us to walk in that freedom. Help us to understand because of the cross. We truly are free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.